0: Michael Swickert here. Welcome to Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces, New Mexico, our award-winning Hatch Green and Red Chili. Boy, is it good. It's from locally owned farms in Hatch, New Mexico, the chili capital of the world. At this time in 1929, Charles Goodnight died at the age of 93, while playing an important role throughout his life in the development of New Mexico. His influence was felt even past his lifetime when somewhat, not really all of it, but his story was made into a fictional miniseries that I know you'll know, the one called Lonesome Dove. Those characters and the push of cattle from Texas to New Mexico and Colorado were somewhat true to life to Charles Goodnight and his best friend Oliver Loving. The characters you saw on the television know that wasn't exactly like them, but they did the same thing. The cattle trail through eastern New Mexico was called the Goodnight Loving Trail. Right after the Civil War, free-ranging cattle all over Texas, which had been abandoned when the Civil War started, were gathered and through several routes, were headed from Texas to market either in Kansas to be shipped to the East Coast on the railroad when it got there, or driven into New Mexico, the New Mexico Territory, to be sold to the Army or taken up to Colorado. None of this happened by accident. I probably don't even need to say that. It took a lot to get a herd of cattle collected since there were no barbed wire fences Cattle had to be rounded up from the wilds of Texas. That was called making the gather at the time. It required a bunch of cowboys working together. When in- assembled into the herd, the first crisis was met. You see, there's the desire to get the cattle to market as quickly as possible, but there was also the desire to have the cattle arrive where they were going in good shape and to not have the cattle lose weight on the trip, since they were technically sold by the pound. So, also during the trip, all of the thieves, rustlers, outlaws that wanted to take the cattle had to be fought off by those cowboys, so that the herd remained well and in good order. Further, there wasn't GPS back then, there wasn't a lot of maps, and uh, no maps really were there so that the cattle drivers had to know where they were going each day over a couple of months to get them to market. Now, it took at least 10 cowboys with three horses each to keep the herd together. They worked three shifts, eight hours each. Uh, During the day, they were moving them along at night. They were holding them there, making sure they didn't run off in a stampede. The horse remuda had to be handled by the wrangler. Now, the wrangler was usually a young cowboy who quickly knew each horse so that the cowboys could change horses during the day or at night when those horses became tired. Each cowboy had their own three horses, and no one was allowed to ride their horses except themselves unless they gave permission. There was also more people involved in technology. Did you know Charles Goodnight is credited with inventing the chuck wagon? Those cowboys on the trail had to be fed well a couple of times a day or the whole venture would fall apart. Lots and lots of details had to be worked out, which Charles Goodnight and Oliver Loving were able to do. But there was more. You see, they had to have buyers where they were going, and they had to get across vast stretches of western Texas that landscape without any water sometimes for a day or two. It was never easy and was something timid men could not do. It was between 1,500 and 2,000 cow- cows going, and there was the old saying, only the cattle know why they stampede and they ain't talking. Yeah, we know what to do when lightning causes a stampede, they did know how to curl them around and stop the stampede. Charles Goodnight was a distant relative of Harry Truman, the president, and he died at this time in 1929. Michael Swickard here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Hit subscribe to automatically get these podcasts. New Mexico has some town names that tourists usually mispronounce. Um, For example, about 26 miles uh, south on Highway 14 south of Santa Fe is the charming and eccentric town of Madrid. Yes, it's written as if it was Madrid, but around here in these parts, it is Madrid. As most small towns in New Mexico can claim, It was at one time the folks of gold and silver miners who found traces of the gold and silver and they filed claims. For a while, the area shipped out some of that gold and silver, along with uh, having a bunch of turquoise, which was valuable. But the real valuable thing in the ground turned out to be coal, which was of good quality. In the 1880s, the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad, at the time called the Santa Fe Railroad, Reached into New Mexico from the north, and even though it had the name Santa Fe on it, guess what? It didn't go to Santa Fe because of the mountainous terrain. But when it got near Madrid, the prime business was coal. I did like the Johnny Mercer song on the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe, which was in the 1946 movie The Harvey Girls. At one time, the extensive coal mining operation covered about 30 square miles and had about 3,000 people living and working in Madrid. In 1922, guess what? Madrid had the first illuminated baseball park in the western United States. It was home to the Madrid miners. They were the farm team of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Gradually, the coal ran out and became less desirable when natural gas was put into many towns. So the town dried up. In 1954, all coal operations ended, and there was an ad in the Wall Street Journal listing the whole town, lots, stock, and water barrels for $250,000, which today's money would be perhaps $3 million. No takers. In the 1970s, the son of the man who owned the town site rented or sold most of the old buildings to artists and craftsmen who wanted to live Santa Fe, live near Santa Fe, but not that near. The mountains drew people, and there was lots of businesses. It's still considered a ghost town. Well, it really isn't a ghost town because it has a bunch of people there. But guess what? There are many legends that the area has ghosts. Some more Old West in New Mexico. In the early 1880s, one of the most famous men in the territory of New Mexico was Dave Mather. He was also known as Mysterious Dave Mather. Well, he was quite economical with conversation, didn't ever have much to say, did not disclose much about himself, didn't talk about where he was from or anything else, but did say his name was Dave Mather. At one time, he was a U.S. Deputy Marshal in the territory of New Mexico out of Las Vegas, but he was also known to hang around with some rough people known as the Kansas gang members from Dodge City. Now, he had been the Marshal in Dodge City in the 1870s. Perhaps today we would finally know about his life, but the story of him was he got in a couple of shootings, wasn't injured, and wasn't charged with any crimes. Now, he was accused of being a horse and cattle rustler at one time, and he just drifted away, but we don't know when, because there weren't any Old West accounts of him leaving or showing up anywhere else. Perhaps in his travels, he was killed somewhere way out in the middle of somewhere, We have exactly no clue what happened to mysterious Dave Mather. Maybe someday we'll find out, but I would bet against it. Michael Swickert here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces, New Mexico. You can hit subscribe to automatically get these podcasts. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that in the late 1970s, a television series The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams was shot one season, just one season in Lincoln County, New Mexico, due to Lincoln County having snow and the principal site in Utah not having any snow. It all started as a 1974 independent film with the same name and the same title character played by Dan Haggerty. That was with Sun Classic Pictures, And it led to the NBC television series, again, of the same names. Now, in fact, Grizzly Adams was a real Old West person, as several people reminded me. So as Paul Harvey liked to say, this is the rest of the story. John Grizzly Adams was a professional hunter who was known nationally after getting a contract to perform with the P.T. Barnum Circus in New York City. He was born October 12, 1812 in Massachusetts, and he was related since his last name was Adams. He really was related to the famous Adams family, including the second president of the United States, John Adams, and the sons of Liberty Patriot, Samuel Adams. He was, from a very young age, a wilderness guide and a hunter. In 1836, he married and the couple had three children. Now, he went on the California gold rush in 1849, but didn't find much gold, but found more uh, value by selling game to miners and others out there. He he could hunt for them. He caught a one-year-old female grizzly cub one time and trained her to carry a pack and pull a sled. It didn't come easily, but he was able to do it. A year later, he captured alive a 1,500-pound grizzly bear. Now, being a bit of a showman, he opened a show in San Francisco that was well-attended, showing off the bears and some other animals. It was called the Mountaineer Museum. He charged a quarter for admission, which in those days, that was actually quite a bit of money. It added up to a good sum of money. By then, he had a large menagerie of animals. He was referred to at the time as the Barnum of the Pacific, trading on the P.T. Barnum name from the eastern part of the United States. Now, he ran into, he overextended himself and ran into financial problems, and in 1858, he moved the entire group of animals to New York City. Now, today, it might be pretty easy he did so on the sailing ship, the Golden Fleece. It was a it was a sailing ship. Took a four-month journey from San Francisco around Cape Horn to New York City. He joined the P.T. Barnum Circus with his California group of animals. If you can picture this, on opening day of the new show, Grizzly Adams, leading three of his tame grizzlies, paraded down Broadway Avenue and up Bowery Street on a flatbed wagon preceded by a loud marching band. Must have been quite a show. Now, Grizzly Adams had plenty of health issues caused by injuries from, guess what? Yes, bears. (laughs) And he found he could barely walk uh, at the end. Uh, So right about then, he sold all of his animals to Barnum and unfortunately died shortly after And that is the story of the real Grizzly Adams, who really did know his way around grizzly bears, unlike the television star, but I'm not going to get into that. Now, the Fresh Chili Company's gift shop is open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. There's much to see from new products to books, caps, t-shirts. They have some frozen chili. There's also pecans and with interesting and tasty coatings. Come look around, and again, lots and lots of good jars of hatched chili, salsa, enchilada sauce, mild, medium, hot, and extra hot for your chili heat, need, heat needs, but very tasty in a jar. When you open a jar of Fresh Chili Company, you get that. You understand why it's called the Fresh Chili Company, because you get that fresh chili smell this is michael swickard with enchanting stories of new mexico brought to you by the fresh chili company thank you for your time today we'll always have lots of news and stories about new mexico for you on these podcasts if you have something or someone you want me to talk about write to me michael at com. michael at com. have a great rest of your day oh yes and eat plenty of that wonderful Hatch Valley chili. Like I always say, some chili's good and more is better, as long as it's Hatch Valley chili. Bye for now.